0: Everybody. Welcome back to the Shallow Dive. I'm Megan. I'm Chessie. And this is going to be um, our Mother's Day episode. Even though it's like a week away, we are going to do a Mother's Day episode, which is kind of terrifying when it's us, right? So,
1: Yeah, I was going to say Mother's Day, but morbid.
0: But morbid. Morbid Mother's Day from your two favorite creeps, right? So <laughs> That's right. So, how are you? Everything's good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. It's been a long couple of weeks. It it's really, it
1: seems like a really long time. I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Today's my husband's birthday. Oh. So happy
1: birthday, Matt.
0: Yeah. He's 40. So, now I get to say I'm married to someone in their 40s. So, yeah. it's very strange.
1: Um, Josh is going to be 35 this year and he's always like, I'm almost 40. I'm like, you? <laughs> You have a little bit to go. Like yeah. calm down. Yeah, you've
0: got you've got five more years. But yeah. it does feel like that. Once you um turn you get into like thirty three, thirty four, it starts to tip. So I'll be thirty five this year as well. And I just can't believe that. Like saying that out loud it's not I'm not old, but it's just strange that I feel seventeen. And I just, I'm like, oh, so I'm well into my 30s at this point. Right.
1: (laughs) I was discussing this at work the other day. And it's like, when I was younger, like in my teens, and I looked at people who were like in their 30s, they seemed so old.
0: Yes. And like,
1: (laughs) now that I'm that way, I don't feel like I should be in my 30s. No. That's what I told Matt
0: the other day. We were discussing age, the same conversation. It was like, you know, I remember being like 13 and 14 and reading sweet valley high books and they're like oh my god my boyfriend's like 16 and i'm like mm-hmm. wow such an older man like yes. i don't know you and then you know your perspective changes as you get older but like it's so crazy that you get in your 30s and like 25 and a little bit older looks good to you and 45 <laughs> looks good to you like i could be you know either way i'm either very young or i feel very old i don't know it's a weird yeah. paradox but it
1: is it is crazy it's like like, I realize it's like I don't, I guess, mentally feel like I'm in my 30s. But then sometimes I realize, like, when I hear younger people talking, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I don't fucking relate to you. Can't relate. And also, I don't know your slang. So, no,
0: no. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not hip. And I try to be hip and then embarrass the hell out of my 13 year old because he's I, I'm the mom that always thought that'll never happen to me. I will always be cool. Like, there's – you know, you can't – he can't tell me shit anyway because I'm always going to feel like I'm cool. But, you know, when you rolled your eyes at your parents at 12, Mm -hmm. 13 – I am now the mom in that situation (laughs) I just never imagined it's like time flies by and all of a sudden you're the weird mom and your kid's like oh my god drop me off at the curb you're embarrassing the hell out of me like oh god and you're like how did I get here I know I'm like let me love you mom Mm -hmm. loves you he's like no please god
1: (laughs) go away
0: that's hilarious yeah so that's where we're at but yeah my husband will have an 18-year-old uh, this month as well. So he's feeling feeling the age, I right, think. Right, right. But he's in the best shape of his life, and I'm kind of jealous because the dude is jacked. And I'm like, oh, so, I mean, 40 didn't treat you too bad. So, right,
1: there you go. Yeah,
0: whatever. Working out must work, I guess. I wouldn't know, but, like, <laughs> that's what <Yeah>. I hear. <laughs> All right. Mm. So let's dive in to the episode here. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about on your end today?
1: Okay, so we are talking about the case of Darlie Routier. And just I guess before I start like disclaimer, I don't know, like this episode's probably gonna be a little sad
0: Yeah, it's sad, and it's probably a little triggering if you're sensitive about things happening to children. Yeah. So please remember that uh, sometimes we have some really fun, lighthearted episodes, and this one's not going to be one of those, so... I feel like maybe next week I'm like due.
1: I'm due for a light. Um, we're due,
0: yeah. We're going super light-hearted and fun and conversational next week. So if you just want to swing back around for the next episode, we totally yeah. get it. But this yeah. one's this one's a morbid Mother's Day um, tribute to some really strange okay. cases.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Darlie Lynn Routier, well, she was Peck when she was born. Mm Darlie Lynn Peck um, was born on January 4th, 1970 in Altoona, Pennsylvania to her parents, Larry Peck and Darlie Key. So her mother and her shared the same name.
0: Oh, all right.
1: I always find that kind of weird, which I don't know why, because there's a lot of boys who have the same name as their dad. Right. But I don't know. I wouldn't want the same name as my parents. Cause no. Like, no. No. I find no, it really no shade. odd. No No, shade. but
0: I find it really odd. And yeah. it, it does seem like I'm all about uh, breaking traditions. And, like, there are certain things in my brain that have been ingrained to stay that way, though. Like, when women do the carry down of the name, I think it's really strange. I don't know why. Probably because traditionally women also change their last name. So, like... Right. I don't know. I don't want anyone named after me. I can see where you do a middle name, but that's weird. First names. Yeah. This gets confusing in the house. I don't exactly.
1: know exactly. Yeah, middle name. Like my mom and my younger sister have the same middle name.
0: Right, which makes sense.
1: So it's like my mom didn't like my older sister or me enough no. to like. Get her... No, Just she kidding. waited for Just the kidding. right <laughs> kid. Yeah,
0: she for sure yeah. waited for one she liked before yeah. she was like, oh, "All right, well, <laughs> you must have my name." Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like why tease our friend Erica. Her husband's name is Bryce and her second son's name is Bryson. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so was the oldest like – you didn't, like, what's going on with that? He yeah. wasn't deemed necessary, like, right. for the name part of it. Or... That's <laughs> So funny. I just think it's funny. Yeah, that's hilarious.
1: All right. So when Darlie was a teenager, her family relocated to Texas. Um, so it was her mother and her stepfather. So at this point, her parents had divorced, and she had a stepfather. Um, her mother worked at a Western Sizzlin restaurant. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> give girl. Me, give me that sizzle. Give me that sizzle. <laughs> hey, girl. Um, so a young man named Darren worked there as a cook and he and Darlie were introduced he was 17 and she was 15 and they were pretty much together from that point on and they married four years later in August of 1988 so after they married Darren was really successful he had a small um, business that tested electronic components so they worked with computers they purchased a house in Rowlett Texas which was a like rich suburb of Dallas Um, and they spent thousands of dollars on renovating this home they redid like everything in it to their specifications they were pretty much just throwing money out everywhere they bought fancy cars a boat Um, Darley loved flashy jewelry and she also underwent plastic surgery Okay. so they were like you know living the life mm-hmm. yes
0: as one with money and is young and having 100 percent they tend to do
1: exactly so their son Devin was born less than a year after their marriage in june of 1989 damon came along in february of 1991 and then they had their final son drake in october of 95 so they're darren and Darley. And their sons are Devin, Damon, and Drake. (laughs) Okay. Which I actually find worse than the parents naming. Yeah, Yeah, no. She should have named all those kids Darlie and been done (laughs) with it. Boy,
0: girl, whatever. <laughs> Everybody in this house is named Darley or Darren. Yeah. Darryl or Darren. Darren. Darren, yeah. So whichever. But the D's get out of control as well. So yeah. that's a it's lot. It's like,
1: Darlie, one, get over here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Saves on the hellos.
1: Yeah. Just <laughs> say it once and be done with it. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, by all accounts, the Routiers were a model family. The neighborhood kids loved going over there because they had a fancy game room where they all liked to play, and Darlie was always, like, giving the kids popsicles, and she was baking cookies, so she was, like, the fun mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and Darren and Darlie appeared to have a very loving relationship, but... As we all know, um, things weren't exactly what they seemed uh, in the Routier family. Mm-hmm. Um, they were living well beyond their means because Darren's business was successful at first, but... But then he started to operate at a loss. So even though they were making less money, they were still spending like they were making a lot of money. Right. And they were behind on their mortgage. They owed $10,000 in back taxes and $12,000 on credit cards. True. So, you know, money starting is to a dig factor. A hole. Yeah, yeah a big to dig a hole. hole. Um, Darley also confessed to Darren that she had been suffering with depression and that it had grown worse after the birth of Drake. So, she had a little postpartum depression. She actually had a journal, and in the journal, there were entries found that said that she was contemplating killing herself, so it was something that was serious.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad.
1: Yeah. So, on June 6th of 1996, at 2.31 a.m., 911 dispatchers got a call from the Routier home. Darley reported that an intruder had broken into their house and stabbed her two children and attacked her. So the children that were stabbed were the two older boys, Devin and Damon. So according to Darlie, she was sleeping downstairs with the boys. She said they did this frequently because she was a light sleeper. So if she slept upstairs with Darren and the baby, the baby would wake her up all the time. Mm -hmm. So she was sleeping downstairs with the two older boys and they like camped out in the living room. Like they would take blankets and pillows down there and like have a fun time or whatever. Sure. So they were all sleeping in the living room together and Darley was on the couch. Um, so Darley says that she awoke to like a pressure on her shoulder and when she opened her eyes she noticed it was Damon and he was crying. Aww. So she that really made her like wake up and take notice and she saw a man at the foot of her couch um, kind of like walking away from her. Mm-hmm. So Darley got up and chased after this man And he went into their kitchen. So before Darlie got to the kitchen, she heard glass breaking. So she heard glass breaking and she turned on the light. And when she turned on the light, she noticed that she had blood all over her. Oh, my God. Um, she also noticed a big white-handled knife on the floor, so she picked it up, and she started yelling for her husband. So Darlie then returned from the kitchen back to the living area, which was absolutely covered in blood. Ugh. Um, She set the knife down and continued to yell for her husband. When he came downstairs, he said that Darlie was hysterical. Um, She was yelling her children's names, and she was saying, He cut them. He tried to kill me. My neck neck. And Darley did have a big gash on her neck as well as on her arm. So Darley called 911 and Darren started to perform CPR on Devin. He said that when he oh this is rough. When he perf- when he performed CPR on Devin, blood was just like spurting out, out of his chest, yeah. yeah, because he had so many like deep stabbing knife wounds.
0: That's got to be the worst feeling in the world.
1: Yeah, 100% ugh um so when Darley called 911, obviously she was hysterical. When she was on the phone with the 911 operator, she mentioned several times that she had found a knife in her home and that she had picked the knife up. And she was already saying, I hope that I didn't mess up the fingerprints. Um, so she was very concerned that she may have ruined fingerprints mm-hmm. from the intruder. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, Darren is still trying to give Devin CPR to no avail. Um, Damon also had deep gashes in his chest and was struggling for air Um, unfortunately when the paramedics arrived they were unable to save either child so both of the boys did pass away Mm. Um, their youngest son Drake was upstairs with Darren at the time of the attack and he was un- unharmed. So Darley did have the gash in her neck, but it was superficial and they were able to patch it up. So it was superficial in nature, but it had only missed her carotid artery by about two millimeters. So if it had gone over or wherever a little bit and Mm -hmm. sliced her carotid artery she probably would have bled out yeah she also had a stab wound on her arm and she also had like little cuts on her fingers and she had a lot of bruises
0: oh gosh
1: so Darley described the intruder as Caucasian About six foot tall and wearing black with a baseball cap. Her underwear were missing, but she said she doesn't know if she was raped or not. A rape kit came back negative. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, detectives also found a cut screen in the garage, so they surmised this is how the intruder got in. Right. And they did search the neighborhood, and they found a bloody sock in an alley near the tier house. So it was about three houses down, like, in a back alley that ran yes. behind all the houses. Um, so they found a bloody sock that was determined to be Darren's sock, and it also had De- um, Devin and Damon's blood on it. Oh, God. Um. So it didn't look like the motive was robbery because, like I said, the Routiers did, like, a lot of, like, flashy things. So they had a lot of valuables in the house and nothing was taken. I think it said that between the living room and the kitchen, which is where the intruder was, there were, like, 13 rings of Darlies laying out. Right. And they didn't take anything. So they, so they started
0: to wonder what happened because they're, like what was the motivation here exactly there was... but then if you think devil's advocate if it was dark and someone just was getting ready to maybe scope out the house and realize people were downstairs i don't know right you know, maybe depending the on people, the time yeah Right.
1: the people downstairs surprised them
0: right and then that was like panic mode yeah
1: Right. So it was determined that the murder weapon was the white handled knife that Darley had picked up and that came from the rootier's own kitchen. They had one of those like wooden knife blocks and that knife came from it. There was tons of blood in the house, in the living area and in the kitchen. So investigators were hoping that DNA testing and blood splatter analysis could help them catch the murderer.
0: Oh God! You know what? I'm just just interrupting here. I know this story pretty well, mm-hmm. and I but I had f- forgotten this piece of it, so I'm just gonna gird my loins for like the blood spatter person. So because mm-hmm. I've seen the crime scene and it, the photos, and it's gut wrenching. Like it's it's very it's very hard sad. to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, continue. I just had to stop for a second. Like, oh God, I forgot.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> His blood
0: spatter of- is such bullshit anyway. But like, this is. This bums me out. This whole case just bums me out.
1: Whew, yeah, right. <laughs> it, it's definitely a lot.
0: Yeah, it is. It is.
1: So police immediately began noticing inconsistencies with Darley's story. Like I said, the bloody sock was tested, but the blood on it and the blood on it was Devin and Damon's. Um, however, bloodhounds were unable to trace the scent of the intruder past the sock. Hmm. So they couldn't find a lead of where the intruder went. Right. So also Darley said that the intruder had knocked a wine glass over when he ran through the kitchen. So when she heard that glass breaking, it was a wine glass from a rack they had in the kitchen that got knocked over.
0: Got it. Okay. Um,
1: But the weird thing about that was the pieces of, the glass were on top of the blood spatter on the floor, and Darlie had no cuts on her feet from running through the kitchen.
0: Got it. So
1: okay. it something seems, didn't add up there, right? It seems as if someone who was bloody was in the kitchen, and then the glass broke on top of it. Whereas Darlie was saying she heard the glass break and then went into the kitchen and bled all over everything. Right, right. Um, so the the blood would be on top of the glass if that's how it if actually happened. Sure. Sure. Okay. There was also an overturned vacuum cleaner in the kitchen, which Darlie said she knocked over in her running through the kitchen. But there was a wheel impression in the blood and there was also blood on the handle that was Darlie's. So she had touched the handle versus like just knocking it over as Mm -hmm. she ran past it. Um, and apparently the blood splatter was at an 80-degree angle on the handle, which meant that it had come from Darlie as she was leaning over it and not running past it, as she told police, hmm. which this came from the blood splatter. That's hard to say, blood splatter. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. It's like some, it's like, is it spatter, splatter? Like, I don't, it's too hard. I hate that phrase because it's the, too too many yeah. L's and I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. hate it. So <laughs> but yes.
1: whether, you know, however you feel about blood splatter, Spatter. <laughs> splatter, splatter, spatter. splatter. Yeah, we don't Analysis: know. This is what the blood splatter expert said. So, right, yes. So this evidence meant that Darley had ran and bled in the kitchen before the glass broke and before the vacuum cleaner was overturned, which is not what she had told police. The blood on the floor was also circular in shape instead of elliptical. So normally, when they're looking at blood splatter, if The blood splatter is circular. It means it came from someone who was standing still or walking very slowly because then it just has the chance to drip down pretty much. Whereas if someone's running, the blood splatter has little tails on it.
0: Right. Um, Like in motion. Exactly.
1: All right. Exactly. When they found the knife, which where Darley had set it down, or no, I'm sorry, back up. Yeah. They couldn't find an outline of the knife In the kitchen, which if the knife had so much blood on it, like from stabbing the boys and stabbing Darlie, it would have left some sort of outline where it was laying in the kitchen and Mm -hmm. they could not find any sort of knife outline
0: okay
1: the thing that really gives me pause is that the detectives use luminol in the kitchen mm-hmm. as well which if you don't know what luminol is you probably do i mean because you'll listen to true crime right. podcasts. but absolutely it's a substance they use to show where blood was even if it's been cleaned up so when the detectives use luminol in the kitchen they found a shit ton of blood like in the sink and then dripping down the sink cabinets that had been like wiped up
0: Oh. So
1: that's what really I'm like, that is not adding up with Darley's story. Okay. Okay. So they surmise that this is where, okay, so obviously they're thinking Darley did this. Did right. Darley do it?
0: Did Darley do it? <laughs> Darley did it? Did Darley do it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So they're thinking this is where she cut herself to. You know. I
0: see. And like it was hanging over the sink. Exactly. Maybe. Okay. Exactly. All right.
1: All right. Furthermore, a forensic scientist found a single fiberglass rod on a bread knife in the Routier's kitchen. Um, this was proved to be identical to the fiberglass rods that made up the screen that had been cut in the Routier's garage.
0: Okay. So, and they, it was this was not the murder
1: weapon. No. This was
0: another knife left in the kitchen it, after the supposed intruder yes. left. And but it, it was clearly used to cut the screen.
1: Yes, they tested like many other substances in the rootier's house and they couldn't find anything with those same fiberglass rods. So okay. they're pretty certain that it was used to cut that screen. And it was found in the same wooden knife block that the murder weapon came from.
0: Okay, got it. All right. That makes... I'm following. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, so there was also blood evidence on both the knife that was the murder weapon and Darley's nightshirt that suggested that she had been the one to do the stabbing. So, like, on her nightshirt, there was splatter on the back that was Damon and Devin's. Okay. So they s- said that this came from, like, her stabbing them with such force that when she pulled her hand back. She kind of pulled it over her shoulder and the blood from the knife that was theirs was like splattering on the back of her shirt.
0: Okay, got it. Alright, I'm following.
1: Yes. So at this point, investigators are pretty convinced that there was no intruder and Darlie had killed her own children. They said they never really found evidence of an intruder and that her story wasn't adding up. Okay. Um, And her story did change a bunch. Like, there's a lot to this case that you can find online. And I'll actually link stuff in the show notes, like websites yeah. that go into this very deeply that I use for sources. But yeah, she did change her story about how she woke up and wh- where she struggled with the intruder and all of that. But a lot of people who are familiar with this case know that eight days after the incident, um, Routier was shown in newscasts across the country at her son's graves. And they were celebrating Devin's birthday. So he would have been seven that year and she wanted to have a party for him. She was shown smiling, laughing, and spraying silly string on the grave while singing happy birthday along with her family. Um, So this newscast had a devastating effect on her public image because, yes. you know, people judge and they... Yeah. Just say that she should have been showing more grief. People always judge how people grieve, which right, which even I've done
0: it. Like I catch myself, yeah. but this did have a really bad. Um, I, I this, I know. Like I said, I recently, I will link it as well. The Last Defense mm-hmm. is a show that's on Hulu. I think ABC did it, and mm-hmm. a co- like four episodes are about Darlie and her family, um, with interviews with Darlie, interviews with Darren, all that, and like takes a look at that but they do show that video clip in there Mm -hmm. and explain how what that did for her um, Mm -hmm. image yeah so that's pretty it was pretty pretty damning um, yes when this all went on because they how dare you smile or joke or laugh or celebrate a child's life you must have killed them. Exactly. Because you're having a great time. And um, you know, there obviously there's two sides to this, but yes, continue and we will discuss
1: <laughs> Yes. Um, so what's bullshit though is the news didn't show that before they had this silly string party, they did have a very solemn service yes. where she was crying and yes. you know, upset. Um, and it wasn't even her idea to like bring the silly string. No. It was another family member. So they spun this part pretty hard
0: regardless of what you think if you go and read about this and you listen to us i think my favorite murder did an episode way before the last defense came out um there's i mean a lot of true crime people have probably covered this one but this case is fascinating because it does take it takes a look at how women are portrayed in general Mm -hmm. Um, especially beautiful women like darlie who were kind of like Peg Bundy ish, if you will. She was, yeah. Like very early 90s, flashy, living above her means, kind of, you know, this little.
1: In Texas. This
0: little Southern, like big mm-hmm. old boobs. And, you know, she. Women are not allowed to be like that. And we, you know, we're just now identifying that that is a problem that we look at women like, well, how dare she get plastic surgery and wear her with her titties out and do. You know, we shame women so badly that Darlie was looked upon as like white trash with money basically Mm -hmm. and so for her to celebrate with silly string at a child's grave just days wasn't i mean it wasn't very long after you said so it was the memorial service but they did have a solemn very heartfelt service beforehand but the news picked up the clip Mm. of the silly string and the laughing
1: of course they did
0: yeah because they spun it as it was even before nancy grace's time this gotcha journalism shit has gone on for years, and this is one of those moments where I feel like they really fucked this lady over in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so Darlie was arrested on June 18th, and the Silly String video became a key part of Routier's trial. Her trial was moved to a small town called Kerrville um, because of the heavy pretrial news coverage in North Texas. So, Kerrville's like a very, like a small, incredibly conservative area. So, yeah, that also was working against her. Right. Um, but prosecutors described Darley as materialistic and self-absorbed. They used her bleached hair and breast implants as examples of that. Routier's attorney, which was Stephen Cooper, said that prosecutors focused more on judging her character and how she grieved than on physical evidence in the house. Um, she was portrayed as... This bleached blonde with enhanced breasts living beyond her means. She did have bleached hair. She did have breast enhancements, but that doesn't make you kill your kids.
0: No, it Um,
1: doesn't. So, yeah, jurors were way too suede on who they believed her to be and did not focus on the evidence they (laughs) interviewed a woman who was on the jury and I like hate this woman yeah um because what she decided to like convict Darley on was freaking nonsense so she was like what kind of mother buys herself two thousand dollar breasts and yeah She was saying that the Silly String video makes a big impact, made a big impact on her because that's not how a mother behaves. Right. So, like, that's bullshit.
0: Yeah. Who are you to... That's the the scariest part of a jury is that you get all walks of life who really just have certain opinions formed about the way people work in this world Mm -hmm. and are living in society. And especially back then... You know, we're just now normalizing. Like, it's institutionalized that women are supposed to be a certain way. They're not supposed to cash in on their sexuality. They're not supposed to do this. And, like, how dare that mother do something for herself? Her children were not going without by any means. They may have been living above their means, but those children were well cared for, yeah. And they're back at back then. That was when home videos were like huge. People took a lot of home videos on those big old VHS, mm-hmm. you know, tape recorders, and um, like camcorder things. And there are vi- there are multiple videos of Darlie and her children and her family. And she, I, it's hard to watch because those kids were well taken care of. Sure, Darlie looked great, but she took care of herself. So I mean, they 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 really. Um, shamed this woman into what a piece of shit you are. I'm going to convict you for murder because I don't like the way you present yourself Mm -hmm. and maybe didn't understand the evidence or care to look at it.
1: 100%. Ugh. So Darley was convicted and sentenced to death. Um, God. As you can probably tell, many people believe that Darley is innocent and that her trial was botched pretty much. So the sock in the alley is a big point of contention because while people who think Darlie is guilty think she used the sock found in the alley to cover the knife while she stabbed the boy so her fingerprints wouldn't be on it. People who think she's innocent say there's no way she had time to Take it to the alley so the timeline doesn't add up.
0: Right. Um,
1: they also say if Darley had done it, she would have hidden the sock better and there would have been a try uh trail of either her blood or the boy's blood leading out of the house. Like Absolutely. the Yeah. A lot of people are suspicious of Darren, Darley's husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Darren has admitted that in like before all this happened, he was thinking about committing insurance fraud. So, what he wanted to do was he wanted to pay someone to break into their house and steal their belongings and then store them until Darren got an insurance payment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, then he would have the money from the insurance and get his belongings back. He went so far as to, like, mention this to several people, including Darlie's stepfather. Wow. So, Darren was obviously hard up for money. So, if he was so hard up for money, could he have... Paid someone to break into their house and not told Darley, but then the person went rogue. Like, it went bad. They broke in. They were surprised by the people in the living room. Um, Or could it have been Darren's plan to kill the children for their insurance money? Um, And he meant to kill Darley, but it didn't work out. It's just weird to me because... And I I couldn't really find much information on it, but investigators just decided that Darren was telling the truth. Like, they were just like, okay, he was upstairs, like, we believe him. But honestly, like, and a lot of people are like, well, how could Darley have slept through the attacks? Which I do believe, like, it's really weird that she, as someone who is a self-proclaimed, I can't talk, I say that Life. every episode. I know not t- talk. Why
0: are two people that host a podcast over here, we literally cannot speak half the no. time. We don't know what we're talking about or how to use words in a sentence. So no. forgive no. us.
1: So she said she was a light sleeper. So like, how did she sleep right. through her children getting stabbed? But the same for Darren. Like, how did he sleep through all of that commotion going on? That so- that's a that's a theory I had not really heard
0: about. Um, but I was kind of looking this up while you're talking because I'm like I was looking for a very specific thing that I was trying to remember and I can't. But it does say, what if Darren chloroformed her? Yeah. Or like, did you know what I mean? Those theories are out there, and I didn't even think about that. Like that's Mm -hmm. a possibility not to like, obviously I want to be very careful not to, I mean, we're just speculating. So, and as I get older, I get a little more sensitive of other people's feelings and I know they've been through a lot, but like this is a well-known case and it's crazy because maybe that was the insurance fraud part of it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like maybe he knocked her out and did it himself or did it, I would say probably not, he probably did not do it himself, but maybe, you know, hired someone and just do X, Y, and Z when you come in here and it got botched, you know, she Mm -hmm. shouldn't have been downstairs or I'll knock her out or you knock her out or you just never know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy.
1: It is. So investigators also found a bloody fingerprint on the coffee table that was smudged and it couldn't conclusively be linked to anyone in the family. So, yes, they also did additional DNA testing in 2015, but nothing they discovered exonerated Darlie. So right. Darlie is still on death row. Yes, um, she is. Date, I don't believe a date has been set for her execution. No. So those are kind of, you know, the notes versions of yeah. the details in this case. And I honestly am really torn on this because I do feel that some evidence, po- um, like, kind of points to Darlie being guilty and some evidence points to her being innocent. Right. Basically, kind of how I feel about it is that... Either her or Darren did it, or maybe they did it together. Like someone in that house, I believe, is guilty, but mm-hmm. she got a bad trial. Like oh, she sure. should not have been convicted, and that is how I feel about a lot of these cases. Yes, um, that you know, people proclaim the innocence of, like Stephen Avery, yeah. like regardless of his
0: innocence i don't believe he should have been convicted on what they had on him exactly so that's a little bit different than feeling like they're totally innocent right but we're supposed to have a right to a fair trial like i have exactly
1: like i have reasonable doubt so i don't think she should have been convicted but i think she possibly did it yeah. Just because, like, her story changed so many times. Sure. And some of the blood evidence, I really do think, points to those wounds being self-inflicted. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to say. I really don't know certainly and i think
0: like i said if you watch the last defense mm-hmm. on hulu it does have more than her case on it and i didn't watch the rest of them because i kind of lost interest because hers was so fascinating they do talk to darren and they do mm-hmm. talk to her and it's a video i mean it's her so sometimes like for instance there's an eric menendez uh interview uh television show on hulu as well and it's just his voice because they can't go in there and right. but they they actually talk to darlie mm-hmm. and she is in prison and whatever was presented in that show may made me feel like more like 90% sure she did not do it. But I don't, I'm just forming an opinion. You know, I don't know sitting where I'm sitting. But there was a lot of stuff presented in that show. And I can't quite recall. So I think it's a good suggestion to watch that. Because Mm -hmm. they kind of laid it out that there had been, they didn't in the trial, no one did any investigation on some break-ins in the neighborhood and a suspicious car that had been seen, and they had reported it, and neighbors reported it, and no one cared. Like, Mm -hmm. they were like that. So Darren would, like, drive the neighborhood looking for this, like, black van or something. It was some specific vehicle. Like, I know that that's, you know, there's been some break-ins, and no one thought to look about, have other homes been broken into? Have, you know, is there any suspicious activity? And there'd been a lot of reports, and no one just really... Brought that up. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of other things that happened that I was like, okay, so I get that she's definitely looked suspicious. She was there. She was but like you said, she should not have been convicted on what they convicted her right. on. The silly string and her behavior should not have done as much as it did in that case, because I don't know, it was a very odd she mm-hmm. wasn't act she wasn't acting cold or no. flat voice or she was just celebrating her childhood child and trying to like kind of pretend he's still there and pretend like here's what we would have done if well his... not
1: to mention sorry I didn't mean to no please you. please But like not to mention this was eight days later or I, yeah I think, so like She's probably in fucking shock. If Like, if yes. she didn't do it, or even if she did do it. Yeah, it's still a shock. She's probably yeah. in shock. Like, I just feel like we can't really judge people on that. No, and also, she had the party planned.
0: They probably already... She mm-hmm. I know she didn't say, let's bring the silly string out. I think her sister did, maybe. And they even interview her sister. Like, hey... That was my bad. Like I, I was just trying to cheer her up. I, I didn't know what to none of these people knew what to do. And until you have a child that's dead and his birthday's eight days later, I just have a hard time judging somebody that presented themselves in the way Darley did. She was just kind of judged they the sexism in this case mm-hmm. over overruled any common sense. It mm-hmm. really did. So that's what I struggled with while watching this because we blame women for everything Mm -hmm. and and also honestly police want to get this wrapped up they're gonna just try to get a conviction wherever they don't have time to joke into everything and like break it all down and let's go back to the beginning and let's really look at this they want somebody off the streets Mm -hmm. they want it wrapped up they don't have you're not the only case in this town even if it's a small town even here you know they they're looking for somebody to put behind bars that is Mm -hmm. what you're there to do according to them unfortunately like law enforcement law enforcement I guess is doing the best they can but at the same time the system's so broken and especially in the it early is. 90s the early 90s was 10 times worse so I just I don't know watch the last Defense because I'm telling you it, it definitely puts doubt in your mind on yeah did she do it well
1: I've watched about half of it I started yeah. watching it and I will finish it because yeah it's yes. super interesting and like laid out really well <laughs> I'm in the closet again and Josh <laughs> just like peeked around the corner and was like <laughs> Hello. hello. Um, I'm
0: in the closet.
1: Yes. But yeah, that show is definitely something that you should watch and I'm going to finish watching it. But it's just, it's hard because like as I was doing research, I would read like one website that thought she was innocent and one website that Uh thought she was guilty. And I think they both make good points. And so it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, And I do see, I just think that these blatant statements that jurors make prosecutors make yeah, uh definitely. defense attorneys even make they are so sexist. I'll tell you right now, I have seen a defense attorney tear someone down and, and, and on TV and otherwise, mm-hmm. I know it's probably like that in real life and it's just like it's on TV like that because it's probably happening that way in a real courtroom. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably Somebody, the character assassination that they do, and we've seen, I mean, the Menendez trial was televised, OJ was televised. There's a lot of things that they'll try to tear the victim down. They'll 100%. Try to te- so it's crazy that, you know, the, the tactics that are used are not factual. There's mm-hmm. facts, but it's interlaced with, I'm going to spin this story to get my client to win, whether I'm the defense or the prosecution, whatever I, I'm going to do is going to be to benefit my client. If it means spinning you into being a bad person, then so be it. Because I'm going to, by any means necessary, win this case. And then me, as a defense attorney and the prosecutor, we're going to go shoot basketball afterwards. And somebody's probably going to go to jail. And that's their life and we don't care.
1: You mm-hmm. know, like,
0: we got paid and our we did our job and they move on. But Darlie's been sitting in prison on death row s- since then, right? So like, Yes. It's years and years and years later. Her kids are long gone. Drake grew up without a mom. Her and Darren got a divorce. They're mm-hmm. officially divorced. Like, everything fell apart. But, you know, he still holds a candle for her. Yeah. The way, the way he talks is so sad. It broke my heart because I don't he know what happened. He definitely
1: never even questioned her in a No,
0: he never did. And it's like, I don't know if that's because he knows she didn't do it because he set it up. I just, I don't know. Like, you can't ever tell what type of person somebody is. You don't mm-hmm. know anybody. But honestly, they just rubbed me. I don't know if they rubbed me the right way because they're Southern and they're like, you know, they had this charm about both of them and I just felt for them. They lost their children and I just, I don't know. I believed her for the most part. And maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i dumb and everybody's like, oh, I don't see how you're on her side. Well, I, my decision doesn't affect anything. She's going to sit on death row. So I guess I can feel comfortable in my I don't think she did it because I don't affect anybody. So I'm not on her I'm not – she didn't get a new trial. I'm not on her jury, so I guess it really doesn't matter. But I think that I'd have to look closer if I was, but –
1: Yeah, no, I don't think this is a very, like, clear-cut case. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. my God, they're innocent. Oh, whatever. They're guilty. Right. I do think that there is questionable – evidence exactly. or whatever exactly i will say like how i heard about this case was there was a forensic files episode on it like mm-hmm. a long time ago well obviously because forensic files is old as shit but right. i i watch it every night to fall asleep which is probably weird of me but whatever <laughs> so yeah there is a forensic files episode i think it's called like invisible intruder yeah
0: um
1: but they per like present it very one hundred percent. She is guilty. Yeah. So that is how I first heard about the case. So I was like, "Same bitch is guilty." Same. So exactly. So after doing this research, I realize now that's maybe not the case. So yeah. it's just it's yeah it's hard. It's hard
0: to reconcile when you're forming an opinion of something and you heard the evidence presented, and you're oh she's guilty. That's it. That's how I've made my mind up. And then you hear it another way, and you're like ooh. That's weird. I don't know that I feel that way about this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's all subjective, and it's scary that juries are also forming opinions based on how they how they interpret the information the very first time. It's hard to right. break out of. It's hard to change somebody's mind. So that's crazy. That story bums me out, and I hate it for everybody because the ripple effect of a bad decision of one person just it the reach is so much farther than you think it is. Mm-hmm. So that whole family's destroyed because of it. Yes. Awful. Awful. Speaking of awful, would you like to know more awful things today here on this here Shallow Dive podcast? Morbid (laughs) mothers. Morbid mothers. Speaking of mothers, now we just said that you can't really judge the way someone grieves, and I'll bring that up again. However. Oh my gosh. (laughs) on On the rare occasion that someone is and will be deemed a sociopath, their behavior starts to set off red flags pretty soon after you come into contact with them. And I'll tell you tell you a little little story about that. So yes. um, there is a mom who I'll tell you about today. That things started to be very suspicious pretty quickly for her, but her name is Diane Downs. And Diane Downs was 27 years old in 1983. It was May. She arrives at a hospital in Springfield, Oregon with her ch- three children in the car. Diane stated she'd been the victim of an attempted carjacking And she'd been shot in the arm. It was later determined that eight-year-old Christy was shot first. So she has all three of her kids. Eight-year-old Christy was shot first. Three-year-old Danny was shot in the back. And seven-year-old Cheryl was shot twice from behind. And unfortunately, Cheryl died on the way to the hospital. So mom pulls up. Tragic scene, right? She's been shot. Her kids have been shot. She's begging for help. Christy, the oldest, suffered a stroke due to her injuries. And Danny was paralyzed. So all three are in bad shape. One has passed away. Two very, very injured children. Mom's shot. She's distraught. She's getting her kids some help. So Diane goes in the hospital and and they're asking her, what happened? What's going on? So Diane says that what transpired that night was that she left her friend's house about 9.30 p.m., And apparently like to take back roads and like take roads she's never seen before. But she's got her kids. It's 930 at night. It's a little strange. Which, yeah,
1: who does that? Okay, if you like to back road or whatever you're doing, like whatever. But why are you doing that at 930 at night when you have your kids? Three small children, too. So the story is like we're setting a scene here. You know, she's
0: setting up a scene here. So Diane says a stranger waved his arms at her when she was driving down a back road and she stopped, which is also strange. The stranger attempted to take her car and then shot her children and her. Diane says how she got away was that she pretended to throw her keys in the bushes um, as a distraction. So he would look that way. And then she, then she jumped in the car and took off. She sped to the hospital as fast as she could, according to her. Um, And Dr. Stephen Wilhite was a surgeon on duty that night. And he described in this interview with 2020, how he was directed to Christy first. And he thought she was dead when he got there. Her vitals were so low. She was very pale. She was clinging to life. And Dr. Wilhite spoke with Diane and Diane's response was odd. And, she said, that really ruined my new car. I got blood all over the back of it. Which, okay, maybe she's in shock, right? Like, oh, God, what are we going to do about the car? Because mm-hmm. I, I can't, maybe I can't process. So at this point, you're like, that's strange. But who knows, you know? Um, so a detective is called. He takes a statement from Diane. And he immediately notices her flat demeanor. And as Diane went through the events of the evening, she said at one point, I just kept saying, God, do what's best. You know, if they got to die, let them die. But don't let them suffer. Like, that's a quote from her. So it's very odd. And like I said before, we know that a person's reaction to a traumatic event can vary. I mean, from hysterical laughing to silence to crying. I mean, it can go anywhere. But the hospital staff and the police both took notice of Diane's behavior. And that it seemed a bit more off than mm-hmm. an, any any other mother that was suffering any type of tragedy that came through their ER. So she just lost a child. Her other two were gravely injured. She was shot. So it was also very strange. And another thing they noticed was that she wrapped her arm. She came in with her arm wrapped. Like she wrapped her arm. But her children had no, no trying to stop the blood. No, no nothing. Like there was nothing. So she wrapped her own arm. And they're like, okay, well, maybe she's driving, you know she she couldn't get to him and just did her best and was driving as fast as she could so they're all in the back seat you know you just don't know so but they thought it was odd because of the things adding up she said weird stuff she was very flat and so the police are trying to gather evidence like what happened here so they're they're stumped they're they're looking at Every possible avenue, they can't find this guy. There was an artist rendering, which was just like this bushy-haired man. It was just a very vague thing. So they try to determine who had done this to Diane and her children. And they decide they're going to do a reenactment of the incident and have Diane help them in hopes that it would uncover new evidence or it would help find a direction in which to go in. So Diane, once again, behaved in a way that was alarming to investigators. She pranced around and told jokes the entire time they had her reenacting the scene. She seemed to really love the attention that she was getting. And the investigator described how Diane was like primping and ensuring she looked her best on the camera. Like through, Because their car was there. So she's like looking in the mirror. She's fixing her hair. She laughed the entire time she was reenacting the scene where her children were shot and one died. So at one point, Diane hits her cast on the steering wheel, like on her arm and says this is worse than and stopped herself and the investigator said he wondered if she would have said this is worse than when i shot myself because just the way she like Mm. looked and and caught herself she was about to say something that would have got her in trouble so diane continued to do tv interviews and news conferences which only proved to bury diane further in this murky story like none of this added up at first the public was sympathetic to a mother who had gone through what she just went through right so The more she talked, the public sympathy began to shift. She kept saying things like, Why would I hurt my kids and then leave them alive if I was truly trying to kill them? She said in one interview, If I shot my children, would I not have done a good job of it? Like, just totally insane shit that she started saying. Yeah, very cold. Off the rocker, like totally nuts. She started to say shit like, And these are more interviews. I mean, there's if you look it up, there's TV interview after TV interview. Mm -hmm. She's wearing different clothing. Like, it's insane. She said Danny was not paralyzed. She refused to believe it. She said that she would will him to walk and love him hard enough, and he would certainly walk. She just knew it. Like, banana sandwich. She's nuts. So she then does an interview with Ann Yeager, which really sealed her fate. It was like a two-hour interview. And Diane said things like, When I realized my daughter was shot, my first reaction was to snap back to my childhood and the pain that happened to me and went on and on about herself she said I and me more times in that interview than she ever said a thing about her kids she um did not focus on them at all she said everyone says you're very lucky well I don't feel very lucky I couldn't tie my damn shoes for about two months it was very painful
1: oh my god
0: so like her focus is really off she said her kids were lucky that she wasn't shot like they were but yet two one died and two are severely injured so she keeps referring like it's not even that big of a deal I'm not that lucky I couldn't tie my shoes my car got ruined
1: right and this is like beyond like the period of time where shock would be acceptable I agree so at first if you say weird shit
0: at the hospital if you say weird shit two or three days into it you're taking public interviews for attention and doing funny little reenactments of the scene and you're saying increasingly alarming shit so like Mm -hmm. yeah the shock has worn off Mm -hmm. you're starting to really worry people that are speaking with you so bad times um so at first diane's family backed her but there is an interview with her father wes frederickson who states that it looks to him that diane did it so all her showboating was really burying her honestly So Dr. Wilhite, who saw the kids in the hospital, stated that it's typically unlikely someone would recover from the type of stroke that Christy had, and it was a long time before he heard her talk. She was hooked up to machines, excuse me, lying there in the hospital, and the nurses and staff noticed something unusual about Christy and her condition. So there's pictures of her as well. She's got all these tubes and everything. But something strange would happen to Christy every time Diane walked into the room. So Diane would come to visit. Christy's vitals would spike off the charts. Every time she sensed Diane was near her, the machines went crazy. And the nurses took note of this. They're like, okay, something is really wrong. Because at first they approached Christy like, okay, what's going on? Is something happening? It was just Diane.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: that really started to make people think. So all these things are just gathering. Against Diane. A search was conducted at Diane's apartment. Diane's diaries were discovered. And in those diaries, she wrote entry after entry, confessing her love to Nick. Robert Knickerbocker. Nick- so it's like K-N-I-C-K. But she'd write Dear Nick. Like mm-hmm. the Nick's. Yeah. So she meant this guy, Robert. He was a former co-worker in Arizona. She expressed in the diaries that her children aren't any trouble and appeared to downplay having children as if Robert didn't want kids, so she was trying to make them a non-issue. So right there's a huge flag, obviously. Downplaying her children's existence for the love of a man is what Diane was doing. She really anticipated Robert to follow her to Oregon when she moved because they worked for the United States Postal Service and he was a coworker. But he was glad when she left the state of Arizona and said that he reconciled with his wife because he had a brief affair with Diane or whatever. But he was like, I'm so glad I'm not following her anywhere. Like, he was relieved to see her go. But she thought, like, maybe if I can convince him my kids are not a problem and, like, you should follow me – that he would come. So she had these fantasies that were not going to happen. It was even later noted that Diane had called Robert from the hospital when her children were shot. So I think she was just calling to like, look at me. Oh no, I've experienced this tragedy. Please come here. But he did not. He wanted nothing to do with her. Mm Mm-hmm. So suspicion grows around Diane, and uh, Diane Downs gets pregnant intentionally. She stated it was because she missed her kids and wanted someone to love her unconditionally. Not that she wanted someone to unconditionally love. She wanted someone to love her. Mm -hmm. She got pregnant by someone on her postal route who she deemed a good candidate and knew her menstrual and ovulation cycle so well, she knew she'd get pregnant if she tried. So she said in an interview, You can't replace children, but you can replace the feeling that they give you, and they give me love, and they give me satisfaction. So just more insane fucking word vomit Mm -hmm. she cannot stop herself because no common sense is here playing you know what i mean
1: this is like the type of time that you wish you could be like hey you are not allowed to have children yeah i don't believe you should
0: have any children no so and also suspicions growing around you you fully murdered one of them most likely and you shot them and two kids and yourself but please by all means have more babies because that's smart so um, detectives are gathering forensic evidence it's being gathered kind of quietly. None of it matched her story. There was no blood spatter on the driver's side of the car, nor was there any gunpowder residue on the driver's door or in the interior door panel. So as she went through the the, uh, reenactment, none of this shit was adding up, right? Investigators do believe what happened was that seven-year-old Cheryl was able to open the door and fall out onto the ground and Diane reached over the seat and fired on her again and she just put her back in the car. So the way it was laid out did not match Diane's story. She did not disclose to police that she owned a twenty-two caliber caliber handgun, but both Steve Downs, which is the kid's dad and her ex-husband, and uh, Robert Knickerbocker informed them that she did. Investigators discovered Downs bought the handgun in Arizona, and they weren't able to find the actual weapon, but they found unfired casings in her home with extractor markings from the same gun that shot her children. Uh, Witnesses saw her car being driven very slowly toward the hospital at an estimated speed of five to seven miles per hour, contradicting her claim that she drove to the hospital at a high speed after the shooting. So a guy testified or gave a statement. I was behind this car. It looked like this at this time going towards this hospital. And I was going so slow it didn't hardly register on my um, thing. So she she's lying. All of this mm-hmm. is lies. She's driving slow to make sure they die. That's
1: mm-hmm. all that is.
0: She's hoping they'll bleed out. She kept saying, I keep seeing, I think it was like, it was Cheryl or Christy reaching for me and blood was just pouring out of her mouth. And I kept telling her to turn over on her side. And I was like, this is the most insane shit I've ever seen in my life. Like it was sick. It's truly sickening to watch her talk. Like Mm. it is terrifying. So Diane's dumbass goes into one more interview. The investigators are at this point not hiding the fact that they think she did this. She changes her story now that there were two men and they tried to carjack her. They referred to her by name and shot her and the kids. And in the tapes of the interview, an investigator can be heard saying, Diane, this whole thing stinks. And Diane replied, well, you'd better get some deodorant. <laughs> just like just like crazy ass cold. You know, so the police say your, your goal is to put pressure on somebody to get them to confess, but they put pressure on Diane. Diane does not fold.
1: Mm-hmm. She also
0: claims in that interview that she knows who shot her kids by name and she can go get him and i know who did it bye she said and she storms out the interview so she's just playing these games right Mm -hmm. she just wants this attention the da in the case wanted to talk to the only other survivor old enough to discuss the incident christy and he held off until she recovered enough to speak to him finally christy is able to speak this is the moment that investigators were waiting on and christy recalled that duran duran's hungry like the wolf was playing on the radio in the car that night She was afraid to talk about what happened, so a therapist was meeting with Christy and asked her to write down the name of the person who shot her. So they would write it down, they would put it in an envelope, and they'd throw it in the fireplace. And this went on for a a while, not a Mm. super long time, but a while, and Christy would write it down, put it in the envelope, throw it in the fireplace. And finally, Christy was ready to open that envelope. She was was ready. So um, she sits with the therapist, and instead of burning the envelope, she opens it, and the little slip of paper just said, My mom. So, who shot, who, who shot you? They'd ask the question, she'd write it down, and finally was able to say, my mom. So, based on all the evidence collected by investigators, as well as Christie's statement, which really was the nail in the coffin for Diane, she was arrested on February 28th, 1984, nine months after the shooting, and charged with one count of murder and two counts of attempted murder and criminal assault. So, this did this idiot. She heads to trial. She's very, very pregnant. She's the picture of, like, softness and motherhood. And, you know, she really does give the image of, how are we putting this woman on trial? She's blonde and she's, you know, thin mm. and very, you know, very motherly looking. Um, she's very young and vibrant. It was totally that image. It just went against all of the charges being brought against her. And so Anne Rule was, you know, the American true crime author um, who also knew Ted Bundy, I believe, and wrote The Stranger Stranger Beside Me. And she wrote a book called Small Sacrifices about Diane Downs. Um, she was very involved in this case. It turned it into a TV miniseries or a movie because it was referred to as a miniseries and a TV movie. So I'm not sure. It might just be a movie. It's starring Farrah Fawcett as Diane Downs. And there's this courtroom scene in that in the book and in then in the movie where they played... Uh, Hungry Like a Wolf or Hungry Like the Wolf, whatever, in the courtroom. And they did in the real trial. And Farrah reenacts Diane's behavior in court. And people who were in the courtroom with Diane when it happened said the movie is spot on. She could not have gotten it more right. So the song plays, the one that's playing when her children were shot, it's very emotional. And Diane Downs is sitting there bobbing her head, tapping her hands, tapping her feet. She's grooving to this song in the courtroom and her attorney had to set their hand over her hands like stop you know Mm -hmm. you you need to stop and she's just totally oblivious just like bopping along to this song like having her living her best life and it horrified the jurors and pretty much everybody had their mouths hanging open people that were in that courtroom reported that it was horrifying it was chilling to see her do that um because they made it very clear that this was the song that was playing and she just seemed to like be getting her life you know just Mm
1: -hmm. whatever
0: gives Um, no fucks gives zero fucks no remorse what a cool song i'm gonna bop to as if none of this is really happening she's insane so the prosecution played the multiple interviews that they had with diane in court uh jurors were able to listen to the flat emotional way diane spoke about the shootings the forensic evidence was laid out the prosecutors had blood spatter ballistics witnesses to diane driving that car very slowly to the hospital but the most compelling testimony during the trial came from diane's daughter who was now nine years old, which was Christy. With her head barely able to be seen over the witness box and her little voice trembling, Christy is asked what had happened. And prosecutor Fred Hugie asks, do you know who shot Cheryl? And Christy says quietly, yes. And Fred Hugie says, who? And Christy replied, my mom. And Hugie asked, how do you know that, Christy? And Christy was in tears and she said, I watched. So, this was really powerful because she testified against her own mother and was able to, you know, tell her truth, speak her speak her truth at 9 years old. So what a fucking tragedy to put these kids through and then now this little girl has to stand up and say here's what I saw, you know. So in June of 84, it was a little over a year after the incident and after a 6-week trial containing 500 pieces of evidence, the jury comes back with a unanimous guilty verdict. She was sentenced to life plus 50 years. Christy and Danny were adopted by prosecutor Fred Hughey and his wife, Joanne. So the prosecutor adopted them, but the story doesn't end there. 10 days after the conviction, she gives birth to that baby girl. Diane showed no emotion when the child was removed, according to the officer that accompanied her to the hospital. She held her for a little bit. She let the detective or investigator that went with her hold her for a little bit, and off she went to a new family. So Chris and Jackie Babcock adopted Diane's baby and named her Rebecca. They call her Becky. Jackie Babcock was surprised to learn that the adoption agency had a baby ready for her, but even more surprised to learn that it was famous Diane Downs' baby. And Jackie said that she just viewed Becky as a child who needed a home and a family. And that was what mattered to her most. Mm -hmm. So the Babcocks, like, were determined to keep Becky's birth mother a secret from everyone. They didn't need the unwanted attention. They didn't need the stress brought on Becky or to their family in general. And they did say that maybe they subconsciously watched for signs that the child was off or something might be wrong because of Diane's clear mental illness. Um, They worried about Becky and seeing how any genetic issues might manifest, but they really didn't notice anything. Becky was a happy kid. When Becky was in preschool, the Babcocks got a call that Diane Downs had escaped from prison. She climbed the 16-foot fence. Got She'd gotten through the barbed wire. She dropped to the other side and hid beneath a car. And the shirt was found underneath that car, which was one she'd worn on the TV interviews. So it was very distinct. It was a very, it was like a dark royal blue pinstripe dress shirt. She had thrown a jacket over the barbed wire at the top of the fence and like flipped herself over it. So... Mm-hmm. She was gone for a while. They did a massive manhunt because of this. Prosecutor Fred Hughey slept in a rocking chair near his front door with a shotgun, fearing Diane would return for her children, either to kill them or to take them. So he was only 66 miles from the prison where he lived. Like, that was... So she could have easily gotten to his home. So that put a lot of stress on Fred and his family. The Babcocks had to finally notify people who came into contact with Becky, like the babysitter in the preschool, who her biological mother really was. And Diane really just stayed with the husband of a fellow inmate. So she wasn't that far away, but they had wanted posters across several states because they thought... Because Ann Rule popped up in these interviews a lot. And she's like... She got on TV and said, Diane will head for the border. She'll head for blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Ann Rule... Pissed me off the whole time I watched this, and I'll tell you in a minute probably, but like, shut the fuck up. Honestly, you're not an investigator. No. Go away.
1: You don't know her. No.
0: You've interviewed her, and you've talked to her for this book. But you are insinuating yourself into a situation where you have no business being. And I feel like she knew Ted Bundy personally in real life, but she also, like, was the expert on Ted Bundy. Shut the fuck up. I don't know. Something rubbed me so wrong about her insinuating herself into situations that I really felt like she needed to maybe, I don't know, leave it up to the investigators. Mm -hmm. You know, just, I guess maybe that's just me, but... She was tracked down 10 days later, basically, because there was a piece of paper in her cell that had been... It was like a notepad and they kind of just like could tell it was a map. And they laid it over another map and figured out where she was. They just... It was crazy how they found her but so Becky always knew she was adopted but had some questions about where she came from and her mom Jackie just kind of told her your mother's in jail she didn't give her any any details but um over the years she'd get bits and pieces of like I know my mom's in jail so she told the babysitter like she's uh, pretty young and she's like yeah my mom's in jail Blah 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 you know about my mom right and she kind of let the babysitter Mm -hmm. Think she knew more. And the babysitter's like, oh, so you know about Diane Downs. So she tricked her babysitter. She goes, she somehow finds, she figures out that her mom might be more famous than she thought. Mm
1: -hmm. She
0: finds Anne Rule's book at Barnes & Noble and she opens it to the pictures. And she's like scared because there's this picture of Diane and I'll, we'll post it. The one that she saw and she's like, my hands were just like her hands. But the look in her eyes was so dead and flat and cold that it made me uncomfortable because I can see me in her. And Mm -hmm. so that started to give Becky like some problems, you know, she's adopted. And I think you may have a little bit of identity issues there. Like, was I not wanted or what the circumstances were? So she slammed the book shut. She didn't read it. She's put it back because she flipped to the pictures and that was it. So Becky struggled with that. She had a teen pregnancy. She had a little bit of drug use issues. She kind of rebelled at, you know, as a teenager. And when she was 16, she had told enough people who her mom was because she kind of realized she could get some attention for that. And as a teenager, it's like that had to be kind of cool. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not cool that your mom's a murderer, but, like, the notoriety from it, mm-hmm. you, you're trying to be, like, noticed. And she told some enough people that... When she was 16, her boyfriend put a movie in and it was small sacrifices and she like froze. She couldn't turn it off. She didn't want to look weak and not turn it off. He tricked her into watching it and like there is a scene where she gives birth to the baby and like holds the baby and she's like, that was me. It was so Mm -hmm. weird to see us portrayed, you know, so that really fucked her up. That movie, watching that movie, having someone spring that on her. Yeah, Fucked her up a lot um so she spun out of control pretty bad after that she had two sons the second which she placed for adoption and when she played she had her son and then she realized i leave her i leave him with her aunt his aunt a lot and i have the second son i'm gonna place him for adoption i was adopted but then she started to feel that parallel and connectedness with diane so she started writing her letters and at first they went well diane was Pretty chill. She loved the attention, you know, obviously. But then shit went south so fast. The letters became more frequent. They were more insane. And like... Just, like, saying, like, okay, Rebecca, in quotations, like, if that's who you really are, you're not my daughter, and you better keep your son safe, and, like, I've got factions of, like, people out there, and if you, just crazy, like, threats Insane. and weird, just total rambling of a mad, a complete mad woman, because um, Diane couldn't manipulate Becky into giving her anything, like, she couldn't benefit from mm-hmm. these letters, other than the first attention made her happy, And then Diane couldn't manipulate Becky anymore to get her anything. She couldn't uh, get up in the world, you know, because that's all Diane's looking for is like, what will get me attention and adoration and I need something from you or you're useless to me. So that's when they spun completely out of control. She was diagnosed with a lot of things, including being a sociopath. I mean, she knows how to work in society, but thinks those rules don't apply to her, you know, so it was very strange. And the one really odd thing about this entire, like, paternity thing, because Becky didn't really care to know who her dad was, but as she got older, it would have been nice for medical reasons and mm-hmm. otherwise. So Becky met with Ann Rule before she died. There's an interview. It's out there if you want to see it. She met with Becky and told her, I have met your father and said he was wonderful. But I said she promised Diane never to tell who she was, and Ann Rule died with that secret. You promised Diane Downs? You wouldn't tell who the father was. What? How, how dare you? You know what that was? That was Aaron Rule being a fucking sociopath mm-hmm. and thinking like, well, I'm going to die with this secret. She is not Diane Downs' attorney. No. she. Ha- there is no attorney-client privilege. There is nothing... No, no confidentiality agreement that I have understood that's a legality that she could not have told. I have no loyalties to Diane Downs, personally. I can't right. imagine telling a young woman who just wants to know. She didn't want anything. She's a grown woman. She didn't want anything from this guy. She just wanted to know who he was and if he was okay and what his maybe his health background was. You know, just just to put her mind at ease. And instead, Ann Rule died with that secret. So I had a hard time with that part. Like, Yeah, that's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. It was totally off-putting. I did not appreciate it. And then, um, so to wrap it up, Becky has a good life now. She got her life straightened up. She's a really happy person. She's got a good job that she loves. Her son is really good. And she was on Oprah, so I feel like she's doing a lot better than any of us. There you go. Um, Because she met Oprah, so what the fuck do I know? Um, Diane has been in front of the parole board twice. She has been declined parole both times. She gets another chance before the parole board next year. And she still maintains her innocence. And there's even some uh, videotape of her presenting her information to the parole board. It's increasingly insane. Um, I'm a smart woman. I'm not stupid. I have uh, two points shy of genius IQ, blah, blah, blah. Which may be true. But she's totally batshit crazy. Right. Right. And has no remorse for what she did. It's it, She did it, you know. she. There's no doubt in anyone's no. mind. Five 500 pieces of evidence and interview after interview later, she did it. Um, Danny and Christy, they went on and they had good lives. That's That's been confirmed. Uh, Christy has a family of her own. Both have chosen to remain very private about their ordeal and won't speak on it for good reason. Becky has spoken to Christy, but Christy doesn't really keep... A relationship with becky because she has no interest in having a relationship with anyone related to diane downs and, the, and what happened to her so um the prosecutor did raise those two kids and they've done really well for themselves so that was the the beauty of it is that the remaining children all three pulled their shit together and live very happy lives in spite of diane's you know attempt to snuff them out mm-hmm. so so the good news is is that she most likely will not get parole. If she's been denied twice, she goes up next year. She, she no. steps on her own dick, <laughs> if, you right. will, if you will, because she, the shit that comes out of her mouth is batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. So letting someone out like that who doesn't want help. She thinks she's smarter than you. She mm-hmm. doesn't want mental help. She doesn't need it. She's smart and she knows everything and fuck you if you disagree with her. I hope that that bitch rots in prison. Mm-hmm. shot sh- And if you, I'll, of course we'll post some pictures on um, our Instagram and this is not to like, I don't want to be disrespectful to either one of these families. Uh, we just want you to kind of put a face to the names because these kids, these victims deserve our attention. You know, I made exactly. just one picture of Diane Downs to show you the picture Christy's, or uh, Becky saw, but I am in no way glorifying these bitches. And even Darley, who I pretty much believe didn't not do it I'm still concerned for her family her children her little boy that lived who Mm -hmm. never had a mom whose dad was felt broken you know like the whole thing so keep in mind as we do this I think that true crime podcasts often don't Mention it enough, I think some do. My very dear friend Melissa, who does just the tipsters, is always very kind about the victims. So mm-hmm. she's a great reminder to do the right thing. So I think that we have to remember that. But this is all very tragic, and that um, if your mom has not attempted to kill you, you should just give her a big fat hug and like a yep. hundred dollars, you know, because mm-hmm. Mother's Day's a coming y'all. So <laughs> just. Be appreciative of what you've got because these, these kids didn't have a shot in hell. And there's a lot of kids out there right now who are in, probably in the same boat. So yep. don't be that kind of mom. So that's that on that. That's that. Mm, girl, that was heavy. I feel depressed now. I'm sweaty. I'm so sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> I have the panic sweats. <laughs> oh, no. That was rough. I wrote these notes and it was I was very satisfied with them because I was able to lay the story out. But it certainly doesn't make it any easier. These are... These no. are tough times. These are roof stoofs. They're mm-hmm. hard. I just, that's hard. Roof stoofs. Roof stoof. Stoof instead of rough stuff. We're roof stoofs. Uh,
1: yeah, that's why I'm like, next time we record, I'm definitely ready for like a little. Yes, a little light hearted.
0: Yeah, we say that and then we do another awful one. But I think we're really, really going to try next episode to do some fun stuff. So if you guys have lists or questions, you are failing us. You you, are. Need, you have got I've got a couple, I've got a couple really good ones. I also have some cool suggestions for some stories. Uh there is a local story people have been asking us to cover, but it's still playing out and I know people who know the victim and I that's a pretty sensitive one. So I think that's going to take a little longer to research. Um mm-hmm. as I don't want to step on any toes and it's very recent and very raw for many people. So to be as respectful as possible is my goal. And I have no tact half the time. So I'm going <laughs> to try to really think about that. Right. If you guys have questions, hit us up at um, shallow dive pod at Gmail and we're on the Instagram at, at shallow dive pod. Is that right? At shallow dive pod. Why do yeah. I always have to, I created them. And then essentially forgot Um, Twitter's the same hit us up on the on that handle as well Mm -hmm. because we would love to hear from you and um, oh also we got like a five star rating I feel like on iTunes did you see this I did it it said thanks for not sucking yeah something it was like I, I like the cut of your jib. Yeah, the cut of your jib. Thanks for not sucking. So whoever sent that to us, thank you because it made me scream laugh like out loud. The thanks for not sucking just felt so like like someone stumbled upon us and was like, finally. Yeah. <laughs> someone who does not suck. So you don't suck either. And we appreciate you for being here and joining us this week. I don't have any recommendations except for sending us stuff to talk about because we want to hear what you want to know about us as people. Mm-hmm. What do you want to, if you want an opinion on something, if you want some advice, please ask us because we'll steer you in the totally wrong direction. Yeah. But, but if just you take yeah. what we say and do the opposite. Right. And I'm going to throw allegedly in there so you can't sue me. So, yep. you know, anyway, um, do you have anything this week? I can't really think of anything else. Just maybe just watch the last defense and check yeah. out our show notes. Uh, we're going to have some links up to, uh, do a little more research if you if you want to take a look at some of these these things that I watched. There was two 2020 episodes on Diane Downs as well, which is where most of my information came from uh, because it lays it out pretty well. Nancy Grace is featured, so don't worry. But like even her in this was not that bad because she's like flabbergasted at Diane Downs and the way she presents everything sounds like this. It doesn't matter if she's ordering from a menu. She just can't believe it. And she just went on and on. I just loved, I, I hate Nancy Grace, but love her. You because, like love hater. Yeah. Because she could be like, I told them I wanted the shrimp scampi and they didn't even have it. Like she just, her cadence is so She's in disbelief mm-hmm. at all times, and I love an exasperated woman who just can't calm down. I mean, I bet her blood pressure's through the damn roof constantly, so,
1: um, yeah. a, a long time ago, like, probably 10 years ago, my mom had a picture of Nancy Grace, like, taped to her bathroom mirror because she, <laughs> she like, got her hair cut like Nancy Grace. Like, that's uh-huh. the picture she took to her hairdresser, which why. I love it But also she like taped it to her mirror so she's like this is how I have to style it. So she like had a reminder of how it's supposed to be combed. So I'm like brushing my teeth. I'm looking at Nancy Grace. I'm like (laughs) (laughs) why? You're like Nancy. I've got a story
0: for you. But she'd always be like Liz cut her mic. You know she's like crazy like hollering stuff. She'd be like I just can't believe it. And she has those names for everyone like "tot mom and just (laughs) You know, she I called Casey it. Anthony Taught I hate Mom. It. And I love the, I just hate the way she does everything. She's such a, she's detrimental to all things true crime, honestly. But in, in the same token, she is an expert in her field sort of so when she does pop in on a 2020 interview like this it's like the love hate with Dr. Phil it's like Mm -hmm. yes he sometimes makes good points but I just love that Nancy Grace cannot stop talking Mm -hmm. like this she cannot stop I know she talks to her kids like that I guarantee she talks to the freaking neighbors like that she just can't believe it I told the dogs go outside and don't pee on my carpet (laughs) like I just know it's at like full tilt all the time Mm -hmm. you know she's never chill she's never i mean scrolling through the tv guide she's probably like i can't believe the golden girls isn't on till nine like i just can see her doing that so check her, check that out if you want to see a little nancy grace action as well yeah so. <laughs> but other than that i think we're all set so we'll see you next episode bye bye